indeed a pleasure to be here this morning. I am Pastor Tyler Greathouse. I'm a missionary pastor with Rural Homes Missionary Association. I'm coming up to seven years uh, with that and spent most of that over in Carter, South Dakota. But let me uh, backtrack to the story. I actually grew up and born and raised in Northwest Ohio uh, and uh, moved over to Chicago when I graduated from high school, went to Moody Bible Institute. And uh, at that time, I was dating uh, uh, Amy, who two years into Moody, I decided it was cheaper to live off campus than on campus and be married. So I uh, asked her to marry me, and so she said yes. And so uh, for the latter half of Moody, I uh, lived northwest side of Chicago and served at a church there for about, uh, an associate pastor for about seven years, and during that time at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Now, at my moody time, it's going to relate to RHMA, uh, being growing up in northwest Ohio and coming to Chicago, which uh, most of you probably know is no small town, I was struggling with, Lord, where do you have me? I mean, there's such a need in the city, and I don't want to neglect that, but there was something that was stirring me somewhere else in, in, in a small town and rural setting. And this was my second year into Moody. I happened to not have a roommate at the time. I lived on campus, weren't married yet. And so there was a missions conference in which I signed up because there was an empty bed in my room. And lo and behold, Ron Clausen, director of RHMA, was my roommate for the week. And that's when I first started to hear about RHMA. And he encouraged me that, you know what, don't shy away if the Lord has burdened you with this passion for rural ministry. And so over the years, as I continued in ministry in Chicago, the Lord just continued to kind of open those doors and weave in that path. And then finally, when I graduated uh, from Trinity, we joined on with RHMA. And at that time, we didn't know where we were going to go. We thought Indiana. Being from Northwest Ohio, we kind of wanted to be somewhat close to family, but there wasn't a piece about it. And then one day I got a phone call by a guy named Kerry Gosen with RHMA, and he says, what about South Dakota? And I said, where is that? <laughs> Looked at the map, I'm like, well, that's a little bit farther than I was thinking. Well, give me the information. Okay, there's this church I think would be a good fit for you in Carter, South Dakota. Well, how big is the town? Seven people. Okay. Well, right now nothing's telling me no. I better pray about it. So my wife and I prayed about it. And the more we prayed about it, the more at peace we were with it. And we said, you know what? Maybe this is where God wants us. And indeed, it was. And we joined in uh, with uh, Carter Gospel Fellowship at the May of 2015. And again, about seven years now we'll be coming into this. Now, what is Rural Homes Missionary Association? Uh, Jay did a great job talking a little bit about it. We, we strive with a burden and passion to reach out to small towns and rural places. Of course, there's need everywhere, right? I mean, that mission is everywhere. It's global. And how wonderful is the uniqueness of different people and different passion. Well, RHMA, we know that there are those that have been gifted and passionate about small towns and rural places. And so this organization does several things. First, it strives to either plant churches or strengthen churches in small town America. 
I'm in the strengthening aspect. I'm going to an existing church, and I'm helping that church to continue on, whether for economical reasons that they cannot afford a pastor, and so there's missionary support allow that pastor to be there to, to continue on the ministry for that church. Some churches is more the unhealthy status, and you're there to encourage and kind of to work with the leadership to kind of get it more of a healthier status, and then graduate from that and do another church revitalization. But then there's others that go into a small town area, and there is not a church presence, and they start churches. One, a good friend of mine, Kurt Boosnitz, uh, who's down in Nebraska, and he has planted two churches in places where there are no churches. In fact, RHMA, the last two years, their emphasis has been in, in church planting. Is there such a need for that? I've got another friend, uh, Peter Samples. He's uh, working with an RHMA church, and he's actually going a little bit further south to, to plant another church, or plant a church down a little bit away from that community. And so we want to seek just to see churches continue on in small-town America. The other thing we do is we like to help out pastors in small town in rural areas. And that's where we have the conference, in which I'm excited about it. I got the fellowship with a lot of our RHMA uh, missionary family uh, last night, and we're going to continue on that. But I'm really excited when Monday rolls around and pastors all over, who's just a place to just be encouraged to be a pastor in small towns and rural settings. Because so often as pastors, we read books that talk about churches of, of thousands, and we get discouraged because, well... There's not that many, and there's no way we can do that. And then pastors in unique settings and being encouraged in those things. And so we have conferences. Our main one here will be uh, this week. We do have a couple conferences a little bit further in the East Coast in that. But the other two other ways in which that RHMA helps out, the second one is through that doctorate cohort, which part of RHMA, because Ron Clausen, our director, kind of spearheaded that for DTS. And so uh, we are proud to say that we're going to be the second cohort uh, going into that. And one last thing that I'll talk about RHMA, and then we'll get to our message here this morning, is that we have TAC classes. Another way to help, help encourage pastors is we have several classes specific on how do you minister in small-town America. How do you minister in rural places? And so they have modular classes. They're about a week long in June, and you go in for a week, and you have your, your books you read, but there's a lot of integration. You go out different farms and learn about different machineries. You learn a little bit about agriculture and livestock, because there's quite a few that don't really know that, and they come into the church, and they're just clueless about it. Uh, Ron Claus, and he uh, always chuckled his first pastorate. I uh, was in Nebraska, in the sand hills of Nebraska, and that's cattle country. That's a little bit, we're a little bit north of that, still cattle country. And you know, he looks, and they're doing some branding. He's like, oh, look at all these cows over there. And he said, they're bulls over there. Well, for most people, probably wouldn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue, really, until I came into Carter, South Dakota. Northwest Ohio was not a huge cattle country, but uh, now that is where I am at in a ranching uh, family church where every single one of them are ranching in that. So, anyways, um, so yeah, that's a little bit about RHMA, and I encourage you, you can stop and talk to me after the service a little bit more with that. I do have a couple uh, things to pass out if you are interested to know more about uh, my ministry, uh, I have this little brochure that talks a little bit about us and what to be praying for. And I guess one more thing about us in our ministry, obviously uh, there's a picture of a family. I am married uh, 
13 years? That's always a hard one. I'm going to guess around 13 years. Uh, my lovely wife, uh, Amy, give or take a couple years in that. No. Uh, uh, so anyway, 13 years, I believe it is. Uh, so uh, Amy, uh, so then, and I have five children. My oldest is Carissa. She's about to turn 10 next week. Uh, she's ready to be a teenager. Uh, so uh, then we have uh, Abigail, uh, seven, uh, Joella, who is five, Dakota, who is three. So far, they're just kind of on order every other year. That's been good. And then Colton, our youngest, had to switch. She, he was a COVID baby. So um, in 2021, I was him. So he's just turned one in that. So anyways, well, God has given me a burden for small town ministry. That's partly why I'm doing DTS and the cohort. Uh, just because, I mean, so often rural places get neglected, forgotten. Uh, and so uh, I just have a heart for them in that. And so I am so glad to be here talking about RHMA. If you have any other questions in that, just let me know. The other reason why I am glad to be here is because the hope that we have in Christ. How many of us are excited about the hope that we have in Christ? Amen. The hope we have in Christ. I mean, last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, what I love about the fact that we have a Resurrection Sunday, it means that something has happened. A physical date, a physical place that Jesus Christ was here on earth, died on the cross, and is risen. The tomb is empty. And for those in Christ, what hope we have. You ever think about that hope we have? We're not only that we get out of hell for free because we have the card, but so much more that in Christ we are and that we have. I know you guys are going to be turning into Hebrews next week, if I remember right, going through the heroes of faith. Oh, I love that passage. You go and see those who had their eyes set not on the things of the world, but set on the promises of God. Well, I don't want to steal J.D.'s thunder of going into Hebrews. I'm going to turn us to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we look and be encouraged here this morning to be living on the blessed living hope that is found in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, as we, before we dive into verse 3, a background of this letter, of uh, this epistle of Peter, writing to believers who are discouraged, not just having a bad day. Their life is upside down, they've been pushed away because of their faith, and they just want to hunker down. They just want to hide under a rock. How many of us ever want to just hide under a rock? You know, we have those days, don't we? Maybe you got a news over the phone. One of your family members had news. They have cancer. Actually, as we left away, there's a, a, a family in our church whose best friend, two weeks from knowing that she had pancreatic cancer, died. I can only imagine that phone call. I imagine that family, I mean, we rejoice. They were a believing fan, or she's a believing person. She's up in heaven, that joy. But I'm sure, imagine the frustration of this world. I mean, it's easy to look to the future, but, but then it just seems that the world just kind of comes after us, right? We wake up, we turn on the news, and that Ukraine and Russia still continues on. COVID, the new variant, begins. 
and we're just tired. You know, I kind of looked around and talked to people coming into this year. What was the main theme? We're just tired. It just seems one thing after another, whether personally or nationally or globally, it just seems like we just want time to stop to take a breather. We're discouraged. And it seems that it just continues on. Well, this morning, I just want to be an encouragement for us. We can continue on. We, in Christ, all the more than anybody else in the world, be singing songs of jubilee. Be most optimistic. Why? Because what Peter encourages and reminds his readers and reminds us the living hope that we have, that we set our eyes to what lies ahead. And if you're coming here this morning and you're just kind of downtrodden, may this be an encouragement. Or maybe you come here this morning and things are going well, that we are kept on guard. Like I said, I, I live in cattle country, and one thing I've learned is you never, never not, or you never not look at a cow when you're in the corral. Especially right now, the time where they're calving, and so they tag the, the, the calf. Always look at the cow, because that cow is going to run you over. Some people, ah, it ain't going to happen to me. I've done it a million times, and everything's okay. But as soon as they lose their eye on that cow, what happened? Wow. And so we come here, and we begin to realize, you know what? I've not really kept sight because things are going well. Well, that's that time that cow's going to come upon you. We lose sight of what really our living hope is. Because that's the question for us. What is our hope? What is our hope? Are you really living on this living hope that we will see here? Or there's other things in this world. In Luke chapter 12, we don't need to turn there, but there's a story of this rich farmer who his life goal, his life hope was just to be able to enjoy life. It was to be able to have it all. And indeed, that year came. He realized that he gazed upon the harvest. He saw that he's going to have more than he ever dreamed of. And he's excited. He starts Googling on the website of silos that he can buy to build bigger barns so that he can just eat and drink and be merry. Oh, man, how many of us would love that? Oh, yeah, we would. Man, if I won that lottery, yeah. I can do whatever I want. Oh, of course, I'm going to give tithes to the church, and I'll give above and beyond. But then I could do whatever I want, eat and drink and be merry. And in Luke chapter 12, in this story, God says, you fool, for this very night you're going to die, and what's going to be with all this goods you have? Why is that significant? Because what is your hope? Because we could all be hoping something. But it need not be the living hope. That's one of my challenges for you if you come here and you realize, you know what? My hope are in things in this world, and that's great. But know that when you pass away, when Christ comes, that's gone. I mean, you can enjoy all you want, but that's going to be fleeting. Well, that's enough talk. Let's get into 1 Peter 1, chapter, or 1 Peter 1, verse 3. 
as Peter now dives into and give praise, of course, to the one who gives. It is God. It says this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Peter just unpackages a lot of that, doesn't he? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the will of the Father that sent His Son to die on the cross so that we can have redemption. And it's all according to what? His great mercy. Why His great mercy? Because the Scripture says we're all filthy rags. I mean, whether we like it or not, we look in the mirror, we're filthy rags before God in our sin. And we may try to do whatever we might to try to get rid of that, but we can't. We're stuck. We're in a mud hole. And it just seems anything we do, we just get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. Not too Well, when I first moved into uh, South Dakota, like I said, I never grew up cattle ranching. Uh, I enjoy it. I love it. Uh, I, have, I, I do have a herd. I have a herd of one cow right now. So I'm getting there. But I, I love helping out with cattle work. There's this one place and this one ranch, and they have this corral. But in this one place in the corral, it's just always muddy and filthy. And I remember one time I was trying to help separate the calf from the cow, and the cow wanted to go the opposite way, and I began to turn around. But guess what I stepped into? That mud hole. And I fell in. And that was one of those things, every step you take, you're three inches deeper. And I was just covered in mud and filth. And it was so funny, even the rancher's wife took a picture of that. <laughs> so later we realized that there was a company, clothing company, that was selling mud jeans for $400. I could have got some more money out of that one. But that's our life in sin. We can't get ourselves out of this depravity that we are in. And so according to God's mercy, according to the Father who said, I'm sending my Son down who is the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, so that we can be what? Born again. If you're here, the only living hope you can have is through Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're not accepting the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is not going to happen for you. This world is as good as it's going to get. And after that, eternal damnation with agony, fire, and pain. But in Christ, we are born again into a living hope for those in Christ. As we gaze our eyes upon the future, this world is as bad as it gets. Now, there's great things about this world, but of course, the older we get, the more we realize there's bad things in this world. And the more we realize how great heaven is. How great our eternal home. How great this living hope. And so, are you looking to that living hope? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ that in His great mercy we are born again to this living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And indeed, such hope does not disappoint. It's amazing what hope does. There's a story of a boy who was severely burned. The doctors thought he was not going to make it. But 
there was another thing that in that city there was a program of substitute teachers or teacher's aid that would make sure no kid gets left behind. And so that boy's name came into the system and the teacher got called out to go and visit this boy to talk about verbs. The teacher had no clue what he was going in and went into the hospital trying to figure out which floor this boy was in. Got in there, opened the room, and man, just a shock and rise. The only thought she could think about, what am I doing here? This boy's not going to care about verbs. He's dying. But she said, no, I'm just going to do my, do my task. Sat down next to the boy and started talking about verbs. There wasn't a lot of responses, but she kept on talking, kept on talking. Well, she left away and said, ah, this is all hopeless. Well, she went home. The next day, she was going back and talked some more about verbs, and she gets to the hospital. She remembers what's floor. She goes up here, and as soon as she steps on the floor, one of the nurses comes out there and says, what did you do to the boy? And she said, what do you mean? What did I do? I, I don't know. I didn't touch anything. He said, no, the, the boy's responding. He's doing a lot better. He said, all I did was talk about verbs. Well, two weeks later, when the boy began to speak, they had that puzzling question. What happened? And the boy said, well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't teach a dying boy about verbs, would they? I figured I was going to live. How much more than we hear about God's word and that living hope that we gaze our eyes upon Christ. That's what Peter is encouraging his readers. He says, look, I know you're going through the slums. I know that things are difficult. And they are. They are difficult. There are days we wonder, how can we take the next step? We gaze upon our living hope. Now, what is this living hope? Of course, there's so much in this living hope, but Peter guides him here in these next several verses to our inheritance that's in heaven. Let's continue on that in verse 4. It says this, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's so much in his living hope, but Peter, here in these verses, takes the future. He says to this inheritance that is to be yours, that's up in heaven, it's the real thing. It's the real thing. I grew up with Black and Decker drill. I've now purchased DeWalt drills. Why? Because they're the real thing. They're the real things. I mean, DeWalt's are a little bit more expensive, but man, they look a lot better. Our inheritance in heaven is the real thing. The things on earth do not last forever. Why? Because the things on this earth perish, they are defiled, and they fade away. But our inheritance in heaven is imperishable. I mean, think about that. Something that never perishes away. That each day, each time you gaze upon it, is just as good as it was before. In this world, we live in a law of entropy where things just naturally decay. One thing about South Dakota, as beautiful as it is, there's a lot of houses that sit empty. Because people just don't buy houses. You have to buy all the acres around it, and most people don't really want to live in the middle of nowhere. And so you see these houses. Never once have I seen a house start to go from, from kind of this little shack to this mansion by itself. No, I see these houses just continue to rot away. Why? Because we live in a world where everything perishes. I mean, your car perishes. 
I remember when we first moved to South Dakota, we bought this 2010 Chevy Traverse, and it was clean. So we as parents, what do we tell our kids? No food. You're not eating the car. We're going to keep this clean. We're going to keep this nice. One month later, and I'm not going to say who it was, this car got backed into a pole. One month, this pristine, wonderful car has a dent, a crack. Really, you think about it, I mean, two years of after getting the car, it's going to have some repair. Ten years, you're already looking at something different. Because things perish. Everything you own perish away. Not so our heavenly home and the inheritance that God gives us. I mean, imagine that. Or, or what about undefiled? Everything is good. That's what undefiled means. Everything is, is pure and good. There's no default. There's no mistakes. There's no wanting to take it back. Because it is good. It is good. It is satisfying. How many of us ever had something satisfying? One Christ that satisfies our soul. But what about things in this world? I mean, our money can seem to satisfy. We win that lottery, it seems like, you know, this is good. I can finally rest. You know what happens to most people who win the lottery? Well, they end up increasing their family exponentially. Because everybody wants to be their family. They end up being lonely because of that. They become known for winning the lottery. And so they begin to shy away. They begin getting depressed. And they end up, usually end up poorer than they were before. When we look at those in the Hollywood actors and actresses that have it, it all that are fleeing from the life that they thought because it wasn't. Our living hope, our inheritance is undefiled. It is good. It is good. And we gaze our eyes upon it and know that it's always pure and always good. No sin, nothing that taints, but is good. That's hard for us to imagine, hard for us to, to really feel that because we don't experience that. The only thing close to that in our relationship with God. Because that itself is good. Because God is good. And then also unfading. It is the same for all eternity. It doesn't fade away. I love button-up shirts. I'm trying to think, J.D., did you ever see me in... Uh, I mean, maybe in the hotel. But you ever see me in kind of what you call those T-shirts? I, I don't like T-shirts. Uh, there's one big reason I don't like T-shirts, because they're basically throwaways. I can wear them once, they get into wash, and they shrink. And no matter what I tried, every different detergents or drying cycles or just leaving left and hang, after one time, they shrink. And then if I put my arms up, it comes up to right here. And nobody wants to see that, including myself. Your shirts begin to fade after time, after time, after time. But not so in our heavenly inheritance. 
It's the same and for all eternity. So, as we look upon our inheritance, though, that's not where Peter stops. I mean, we would just be rejoicing and gazing our eyes of what is yet to come. But he says this inheritance is what? It is kept in heaven for you. It is being kept in heaven, in a vault up in heaven, which means that it is good. It's there, and we don't have to worry about it. No matter what is going on with you today, whatever is going on with your family, whatever is happening on, that does not affect your inheritance. It's kept in heaven for you. And still yet, Peter does not stop there. In verse 5, it says this, that he goes back to us. He says, who kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we look and we give praise to God for in his mercy, he has caused us to be born again through Jesus Christ and this living hope we gaze upon an inheritance that is imperished, undefiled, unfading, that's in heaven, guarded in, kept in, the safe in heaven, now back to us, are being guarded by God. Did you know that? In Christ you're being guarded. Through faith. Through the work of the gospel. The Holy Spirit inside us. Guards us. This word in Greek is a military word of a city that's being heavily fortress, heavily guarded with the walls of protection. And if God is guarding, if God is the wall of protection, do we need to fear? Do we need to fear? No. I remember when I was really young, my, my grandma and I used to play a card game called War. Anybody ever heard of this card game, War? I love this game. Right, yeah, you, you kind of have a deck of cards and you kind of fold and shift it up and then you give each other a half and then you flip it and whoever's got the higher number or the higher card wins. But that's not the fun part of the game. The fun part of the game is every so often that you get a card, and let's say it's a three, and they have a three, and that's war. Then you go ahead and in our version, there's some version, but we put down three cards and then we flip up the next one. And whoever's got the higher number gets all those cards. And you're really happy if you had the ace, because the ace would be the trump. But even then, you still had to worry, because that person may have an ace, and then you have war, and then you're really on a risky situation. Or you could lose that ace underneath a war. But with God, there is no fear or fright. God is the trump card all the time. No matter what is laid, the world gives. God says, huh, I can beat you. Huh, I can beat that. <laughs> I can beat that. We are being guarded, protected, a fortress around us through faith. As we gaze upon God, He is there guiding our steps that we can indeed move forward. Are you Letting God guide your steps this morning. Are you rejoicing the role of the Holy Spirit that has within you as believers?
going to situations and seeking not the things of this world, but rather the things of God and allowing Him to protect you. As we come to the close here this morning, my encouragement for you is to give praise to God. That's, that's the very foremost. What, what Peter says here, that very meaning, we give praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father. And why? Because in Christ, because of the gospel, because of the cross and resurrection that those in Christ, we are born again to a living hope that this world cannot take away. This inheritance that's far greater than anything in this world but the things that we can hold to and possessions we can have. But are, are we gazing at that eternal living hope? Now, of course, this doesn't change our situation. Peter's readers are still suffering the way they were. We still are going to wake up tomorrow morning and there's going to be the three things at us. Satan, ourselves, and the world. But let us not forget that in the midst of those things, we can fix our eyes upon Christ. And in Him we see the marvels of the blessings that He has for us. The living hope that truly is alive. And the joy that by His great mercy that He bestows upon to His children an inheritance that we do not deserve I mean, all the more we continue to realize, Lord, it all goes back to you. It amazes me what a God we have. And some of the hardest things in the question, God, can I really trust you that you have the best? Maybe it's because over the years we, we've been shorted. We, we've been robbed. People have, have let us down. And God says, I, I want to give you this. Well, I don't know that it's really good. Well, because God is good. He sends his son to die on the cross for you and for me. Where there is no other way. And the more that we live in that truth, the more joy and satisfaction we have. That's kind of that mystery, that step of faith. And we say, Lord, I'm going to surrender myself. I'm, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to gaze my eyes on you. I'm going to surrender all my things and live for you and trust that you have what's best in mind. And when you do, there are no regrets. Because God knows us more than we know ourselves. God knows us more than we know ourselves. God's a far greater planner of our lives than we are ourselves. One of the things I like to do is I like to organize. I like to plan things out. But it never works out exactly what I want to. It never does, no matter how hard I try. God does. My encouragement for those of us in Christ, I surrender and say, Lord, I want to gaze upon what you have for me. And in, in the sorrows of this life and the tragedies and the, the tough Ralph, Lord, I want to gaze upon your promises and that living hope that allows us to smile every day. Allows us to rejoice even in the midst of the pain, midst of the sorrow. Because we know that God is good. 
If you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, again, there's no offer of comfort that I can give of living hope apart from which that is in Christ Jesus. This world as good as you're going to get, you better enjoy it. Because afterwards it gets much worse. But God is offering you a chance here today and to hear in His Word and love that in His great mercy, He says, look, I've sent my Son to die on the cross for you so you could have this living hope. That you not only would not have to deal with hell for all eternity, but you enjoy the presence of heaven with all goodness. That's right. Let us go forth with the hope and live in that hope. I'm going to do one more story and I'll close in prayer. There was this gentleman who spent a lot of his summers in the state of Maine and then came back to wherever he was the rest of the year. And so year after year, he'd go and spend and travel to different places in Maine, come back. And after several years of doing that, he gathered around with some friends. And he said, I, I got a story to tell you. He said, I, one time, uh, the last summer I went to Maine. Uh, I went to this kind of town. I didn't realize when I pulled in here, but this town only had two months to live. Because they were going to dam up the area, which meant that the area that it was in was going to be flooded. He said, I continued to stay in town those months before it happened. He said, it wasn't long before I started to see that the, the lawn was not getting mowed. But then why wouldn't it? It's only two months. He said, I noticed nobody was painting their houses or their fences. Nobody was calling on the roofing companies to put new shingles on their house. In fact, there wasn't much of activity. And why not? Because there was no hope. There was nothing to grab a hold of. And likewise, let us not succumb to lose sight of the hope that we have. Because when we do, then we don't paint up the house. We don't sing up in joy. We succumb and want to hunker down all the more. But when we gaze upon God and the inheritance that we have, oh, the world may see the songs in the night. And they wonder, why? Why? When, when the world gives way and everything just goes upside down, how is it that you can still sing with jubilee? Because we have a home to go to. We have a place we have a God who's worthy of all worship. Let us live on that hope in Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you here. Oh Lord, for your word so precious and living and active. That Father God, as we gaze upon the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, this world likes to, to rob us from that thought. And so we hunker down. And Father, even, even our Savior, your Son, said, Lord, your Son said, there will be troubles, especially those in Christ. But Father, may we 
hear your word and be encouraged on the Lord. May we be challenged to gaze upon and we echo the words of Peter. We say, blessed be the Lord, or the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be you, O Lord, for in your great mercy you have caused us to be born again into this living hope and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, we thank you for in your great mercy the inheritance that you've given us that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, that's kept, it's there in heaven for us. And even in your great mercy through faith that we are being protected and being guarded. And it's all to your praise and to your glory and to your honor. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.